Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. If you don't know me, my name is Chris. Uh, this is a very interesting sermon for me. Uh, I do enjoy preaching, but I am, I finished up this, this last week on staff at Real Life, so I am guest preaching today. Isn't that funny how that kind of works? But pretty interesting, funny, but hey, I'm just excited to be here, excited to be able to share the message with you. And uh, yeah, Gary started off last week by talking about or starting our Person of Christ sermon series off. And this is a really cool sermon series because we're really focusing in on the main portions of Jesus' life. Some of the, you know, you could say main miracles. And it's a really cool series because, you know, we just get to look at Jesus. You know, as Christians, we just get to kind of sit back and say, okay, Let's really, maybe for you, it's rediscovering who the person of Christ is. Maybe it's just a reminder for you, but it's a really cool series because we get to, you know, really just focus in on Jesus, which I think is important to do. Amen. So, hey, uh, if you missed that one, go on YouTube and check it out where Gary kicked us off starting uh, to talk about Jesus' first miracle of turning uh, water into wine. I kept, I, pra- I was practicing this. I kept saying wine into water. And I was like, I don't think that's right. So he's turning water into wine at the wedding. And so that was Jesus first kind of big miracle that everybody saw. And it was like, you know, his mother was asking him, Hey, can you do this? And he did it. And so he kind of, in a sense, kicked off his public ministry in that way. And so in the series, when I was asked to preach this Sunday, I was given a very blank slate. This always happens to me. They're like, hey, can you preach this Sunday? And I'm like, yeah, what am I preaching on? They're like, whatever you want. And I'm like, cool, which is great, but it's also like, oh, what do I preach on? You know, and just kind of relying on, all right, like, Lord, help me figure out what should I preach on? What is this going to look like? What, what would help people the most kind of first starting off this series? And so I'm going to preach on one of my favorite miracles that Jesus did, but it's going to be a little bit later in the sermon because I want to do a little bit of build up to get there because I do think it's important uh, as we are starting out a new series to kind of establish a foundation and a baseline for who Jesus is, which Gary started to do last week. So I just want to kind of build off of that today. So before we get into that, I want to go ahead and start by asking a question that's a little bit weird to ask in church, okay? So... Why does it matter who Jesus is? Pretty important question, right? Good place to start. Why does it matter who Jesus is? You know, as a Christian, as someone who's grown up in the church, and maybe, you know, everybody's background is different. Maybe it's your first week stepping foot in the church. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. This is a question that will hit people very differently. You know, for me growing up, it was very much like, I know I'm just a Christian. I was raised a Christian, you know, like it was you know, it wasn't really a big thing for me because it's like, yeah, that's just what you believe, right? You know, grew up in the church. And so I think it's important to ask this question, though, because obviously as a Christian, I want to rely on Scripture as my main point of authority. But there's certain times where I think it's good to be challenged. It's good to say, kind of step back and say, all right, Lord, like, what else is there? What else do I need to know to have a really firm foundation in my faith as a believer, And so for me, you know, I went to Bible college in Tennessee, and uh, that was a big time for me learning about a lot of this stuff that, again, I always kind of had the heart side, you know, like, okay, I'm a Christian, I believe it. Uh, But then I was really starting to develop the head side, like, why do I believe it? Why does it matter? Why does it matter who Jesus is? That type of thing. And so I really personally developed a very 
head-centered way of thinking, and then it moves to my heart. So I kind of like the way I view things now, I really need to understand it. Like, okay, like, can I believe this? Does it make sense? Have I thought through it? You know, what are the proof? What is the proof? What are the evidences? And then it, for me, it usually moves to my heart, which is very backwards for a worship person, because usually it's like heart and then head, you know? And so I'm hoping that this sermon can touch everybody in a certain way, whether you're like, hey, I need to understand it in my head first and then really get it in my heart. Or maybe you're a, hey, I really need to get it in my heart. And then I want to learn more. So wherever you're at, I want to center this sermon around both of those things and hit on both of those. So I want to give you an example of when I was about uh, 1920, I worked at a warehouse. And this is a, a part of my life where I was really challenged in my faith. And uh, there was conversations with a lot of the guys there. And, you know, it, it was a grueling job, I'm not going to lie. When I worked at a warehouse in Tennessee, it's hot there. I don't know if you know that. It's been over 100, which I'm going back in a few weeks. And I'm really excited about the hot weather. It's great. And I worked in uh, this warehouse, and I was unloading these storage containers. And if you've ever been in, like, a metal storage container, they get really, really hot. They get, like, I mean, it was, like, 120. We clocked it at one point in there. And you're unloading them, right? So you're just sweating, you know, and I was doing this uh, that summer to save up for a ring for my soon-to-be fiance Mariah at the time, which is pretty fun. So I just want to do a quick shout-out to myself. That's how much I love my wife, is I almost died. I, we have an actual picture um, of what... That was me on the floor. I thought it was funny, but that's not actually me. But that's how I felt most days when I was done. I was exhausted, tired... But my point of the story is I met a lot of cool people and it's one of those jobs that, you know, you'd have certain days that, you know, you'd have people walk in, they were there for two hours and they said, I'm out and they walk out. And then you'd have people that really committed like I did for a summer. Hey, this is not my dream job, right? I don't want to be killing myself in these containers looking like this every day for the rest of my life. But for a season, I'm going to do this, make some extra money. Maybe, you know, for me, it was a ring. Other people just, maybe they have something to save up for, maybe just some extra summer money, right? And so I had a, really, a lot of really good conversations with people there um, that really stuck over the summer. You know, you could de- develop some relationships there. And I always remember one of the uh, most interesting conversations I had was with a guy. We're all kind of sitting in the break room, just chatting, that type of thing. And I remember, I think another guy invited him to church and was talking about it a little bit with him. And I'm kind of there talking to him about it a little bit. And I remember him saying at one point, I don't even think Jesus was a real person. And his point was, why should I care? And, you know, we're in the South, so we're like, what? I mean, it's just, you are in the Bible Belt, right? So it's like, that's not a thing. Like, you're questioning Jesus? Like, what? You know, and people are kind of, oh, that's weird, you know. But he, in his mind, in his heart, he's like, you know, I don't even know about the evidence that he even existed. And so that's kind of where he was at. And, you know, I've had a lot of those conversations after that throughout the years talking to people. But that was like the first one for me that really hit me like, man, this is a real thing, you know, of people not only saying, okay, he's not my Lord, but saying, I don't even know if he was real. And so, again, as Christians, you know, we have the Bible, which is our framework, which is always, in my opinion, the place to start. Hey, we have God's word. Let's dive into that. But again, going to Bible college and learning about these things, really developing the head side of like, why can I believe these things? I want to dive into that a little bit today about some of the extra biblical evidence of Jesus. And I don't have a ton of time, so I'm going to dive into this and kind of get through these quickly. But I'm just hoping that these, these can help you understand that we have a really good, firm foundation that Jesus was a real person historically. And then I want to move on to who did Jesus say he is? 
And then we're going to get to our passage and really reflect on that and have a little bit of moment of our hearts just working through that this morning. And so the first person I want to talk about, if you've studied any kind of ancient literature or first century literature, a guy named Josephus, you have probably heard about. And this is a nice picture of him, artist rendition, of course. Um, And so he was a first century, very, very, very well-known Jewish scholar. He was probably the pinnacle Jewish scholar at the time that really recorded everything that happened to the Jews in the first century, okay? So he's a really important person to know about, and his most famous works were The Antiquities of the Jews, and then he also wrote On the Jewish Wars. Really, really interesting stuff. Again, I love history, so this stuff is like awesome, maybe. I might bore you to tears for a little bit. That's okay. Just hang with me for a little bit. But, And so he wrote uh, The Antiquities of the Jews in the early 90s, early 90s A.D., And so, as Christians, it's important to know about Josephus for a couple reasons. One, because it's really interesting Jewish history, and, you know, you just get a lot of insight from the first century that you wouldn't have without reading his works. Uh, Another, as a Christian, he wrote about three main topics that pertain to our faith. And again, he's a historian, he's a scribe, he's just recording things that happened in history from a Jewish perspective, right? And so he wrote on, the three main things he wrote on were John the Baptist, you know, the coming of John the Baptist, what that looked like. He wrote on the uh, death of James, the brother of Jesus. So when James was martyred. And then he also wrote a little bit about Jesus himself and Jesus' ministry. So I'm about to read this little section here. And this is known as the Testimonium Flavianum. Let's go ahead and say that together. Testimonium Flavianum. Cool, there you go. You learned something cool today, right? So that is a, what that is is a little excerpt, which I'm going to read here, of where he's talking about Jesus. And it's one of the most well-known uh, and well-debated uh, excerpts about Jesus, really in history and definitely in the first century. So let's go ahead and read this here. About this time there lived Jesus, and it should be in your sermon notes there, you can track along. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to a cross, those who, those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so-called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. And so again, this comes from his most well-known work in history, the Antiquities of the Jews, and he's writing on Jesus' ministry in the first century. So this is a really incredible historical document of an extra-biblical passage talking about Jesus' life, ministry, and existence. And it's also, full disclosure so you know, one of the most debated passages, because what scholars have done over the centuries, if they've, they've dove into this and said, wait a minute, how much is, you know, actually first century, is some added later, what does that look like, how can we be sure, which is very common with ancient literature, and so a little bit of history behind this is most scholars agree, like the vast majority of scholars agree, that most of it is authentic, that's the easiest way to put it. The three debated parts of this testimony in Flavinium are... Again, from a Jewish perspective, they're going, would he have said that about Jesus? And the three debated parts are the first part, if indeed one ought call him a man. The second part is he was the Christ, whereas many scholars believe he may have said 
and he was called Christ or he was believed to be Christ, right? And then the third one is he appeared to them spending a third day restored to life as the prophets of God foretold. So I tell you that just to get a clear message across that I'm not telling you this as, oh, this is a hundred percent, you know, legitimate thing, but it's agreed upon that the basics of it, other than those debated three parts there, the basics of it are legit. They're first century. He wrote them. There's not much debate there. So again, I don't tell it to you as, hey, take this as, you know, God's word, but take it as an ancient uh, piece of literature that really does talk about Jesus. And it's a legitimate thing that has been verified throughout history. So just a little bit of history and insight on that passage there. The second person I want to talk about, again, we got the uh, Jewish perspective of Josephus there. Second person is a person called Publius Tacitus. So you've probably heard of Tacitus if you study any kind of like Roman ancient literature. He was a Roman historian in the first century, wrote a lot of different topics, just like Josephus for the Jews. He wrote a lot of topics for the Romans, very well-known Roman historian. And he also wrote uh, sometime in the late first century AD. And so I want to just read an excerpt of something that he wrote on Christ and the Christians of that time. So consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from which the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. So you can tell this guy's really big on Christians. He really likes them, right? Pretty, yeah, he's definitely a fan. So anyway, he's writing, here's what he's writing about there. And this one is much less debated. This is just recording, you know, there's not a lot of debate on this one. So um, he's actually recording a really sad testament to what happened to uh, the Christ followers, Christians in the 60s AD. So if you ever heard of an awesome guy called Nero, who was one of the most hated Roman emperors ever and craziest Roman emperors ever, he reigned in the 50s and 60s AD in Rome. Uh, There was a great fire in Rome. I think this is an artist rendition of the fire here, just to kind of get a picture. And it was a really, really, really bad fire in Rome in 64 AD. And it, I think I read somewhere, consumed like 10 out of the 14 provinces of Rome, Rome, just burnt Rome to the ground, basically. It was really bad. And so at that time, people did not like Nero. People were not Nero fans. And so uh, officials at the time, the people blamed Nero for the fire, because they just thought he was crazy and he was trying to just burn it down, right? And so what happened and what Tacitus is writing about is Nero, to take the blame off himself, blamed the Christians. He said it was these, this new Jewish sect called the Christians who started the fire. And again, when you read above, uh, you know, talking about hated for their abominations, that's the whole, like, they started the fire, right? He's pushing it on the Christians. And so... It's a really sad part of history, because, and this is an important thing to know, because after this fire, when uh, Nero blamed the Christians, this is the first mass uh, persecution by a Roman emperor of Christians in the 60s AD. And to me, whenever I read about I've read this many times and studied this a lot, and it's really a testament to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have come thousands of years before us, that they stood their ground, and they didn't renounce 
and they were killed in terrible ways. And to me, it's like giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. That's a really amazing thing that we shouldn't forget. And so kind of moving on from that, you know, Tacitus, he's someone entrenched in Roman government. He really has no reason to write about Jesus other than just stating, here's what he did. Here's what his followers look like. Here's what happened in Rome at the time. He's just writing it down, right? And so these guys, especially, a, I give you a Jewish and a Roman scholar and historian perspective because they really have nothing to gain. They're not going, hey, we should talk about these Christians because we're going to become them or like they kind of were hated at the time. So the recording historical events that happened is the point I want to kind of get across here. And there's a lot more. That's the only thing I'm going to go into because I want to keep moving on and I have a limited amount of time. But I really love Christian history. And so there's some other names uh, that are in your sermon notes that are on the screen. If you want to read a little bit more about some extra biblical examples of people talking about Jesus, I put those up there. Uh, But I wanted to hit a couple of the notable ones and kind of dive into that so you get a picture. And so again... I love this stuff, but it's really not my goal to give you a ancient Roman Jewish Christian history lesson. I hope you learned a little something and maybe can kind of see how that's important as a Christian, but that's not my goal today. My goal is to see, is to tell you, okay, as a Christian, we have a foundation that is laid that even people outside the Bible have said, yeah, Jesus was a real person. Okay. So if we can, if we can start somewhere together, Jesus was a person in history. Okay. So I think the next really important thing to understand and go to is who did Jesus say that he is? Again, as a believer, that's really the most important thing, right? It's like, all right, let's move on to who did Jesus say he is? And so I want to read a couple passages here today. We're going to start in John 10. And this is uh, one of the most well-known places where Jesus claims his deity. And he's describing how he's the good shepherd. He has the flock. Again, we've preached on John 10 plenty of times. It's a really amazing passage. And I'm going to be reading about out of the NASB today, which is the New American Standard Bible. And it's just a good word-for-word type of translation. So let's go ahead and read this together. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple area in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then surrounded him and began saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And catch this part at the end. I and the father are one. And so again, this is one of the big places. I and the father are one, where Jesus is saying, basically, I am God. I and the father are one. We're on the same playing field. And so after this, the Jews are not happy with Jesus. They're ready to stone him. They're ready to take him out. Okay, he's, you know, blaspheming against God. He's equating himself with God. That's, you know, blaspheming in that time. And so they're not happy with him, right? And so let's keep working through here. The next one is Luke twenty-two sixty-six through 71. When it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber saying, if you are the Christ, again, another one where they're saying, are you the Christ? If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. 
And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, so you are the Son of God? Like, they still keep asking him, right? And he said to them, you say correctly that I am. And then they said, what further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Again, both these passages, they're getting really riled up and ready to kill him at this point, right? Another one I wanted to throw in there is John 14, 6. If you've studied and memorized Bible verses, this is probably one that you've studied and memorized before. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so these are some big passages around Jesus really saying, this is who I am. This is why I came to earth. This is why I've done this ministry. This is why I've done miracles to establish my kingdom here of this is who I am. So I hope that I've given you a little bit of, okay, just in history, this is what Jesus looked like. This is what people said about him. This is where Jesus, what Jesus says about himself. This is where he puts himself. He's equating himself with God. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the good shepherd. So that gives us a good baseline to start from of saying, okay, we know what history says. We know what Jesus is saying. And so I want to just, at this point, go into one of his miracles that's really dear to my heart. I really, probably my favorite miracle, if you can pick a favorite, right? But if you can pick a favorite for me, it'd be Jesus healing of the blind men. This one always just touches me in a lot of different ways. So I want to just go ahead and read this. And we're going to spend a little bit of time just walking through this together and working through this passage is kind of the main part today. And again, at this point, I'm hoping that I've given you you some head knowledge and that we can kind of start moving to the heart of what this looks like for you personally. And so Matthew 9, 27 through 31, you should have it in your sermon notes. It's up on the screen here. As Jesus, as Jesus went on from there, two men who were blind followed him, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. And after he entered the house, the men who were blind came up to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows about this. And the best part about the verse. But then they went out and spread the news about him throughout the land. So then they did the opposite, right? So, again, what are we seeing happen in this passage? It really is an incredible passage of what we're seeing. Two men coming to Jesus, pleading. You know, again, I always put myself in their shoes. If I'm a blind man going, like, I would love to see. I love my sight restored. And there's this guy who's healing people. He's saying that he can do it. And we need to believe. And he questions them. Do you believe that I can do this? Good place to start. Why would you ask me unless you believe I'm even capable, right? And Jesus sees their faith. And the cool part too, they acknowledge him as Lord. Yes, Lord, we believe you can do this. Simply touches their eyes and are healed. And so for me, this is a really big one because, you know, 2,000 years later, as far as medication has come in the medical community, and I've been through a lot. My son's had open heart surgeries. I've had a surgery. It's amazing what they can do. It is just incredible. But 2,000 years later, and doctors can't, you can't walk into a doctor's office and they go, do you need to see again? Yeah, okay, it's done. That's something only Jesus can do, right? They have things that they can help you with and all that, and that's, that's all great. I'm not saying don't do that. That's great. But it's so touching to me that 
Jesus did this for them. And again, it goes back to his whole ministry that he didn't just focus on the people with money. He really didn't, right? Or the people with power, the Pharisees, he spoke against them. He focused on the downtrodden, the people who are cast aside in society, the blind, the lame, the lepers. The, pe- the lepers are the people they won't even go near. And Jesus healed lepers. He's a caring, loving savior. And he helps the needy. And you know, Jesus at that time, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He's pretty well known. You know, he's a teacher. He's going to different places, doing different ministry things. He had people following him everywhere. And again, it always touches me that two men are chasing after him. And it happens time and time and time again. The gospels, people are chasing after saying, have mercy on me, help me, heal me. And he does it. He doesn't say, I don't have time. I'll do, you know, maybe come see me later. Nothing like that. He stops and he gives them the time and he does it. So again, for me, I just love that passage. And I really want to have us take that on a heart, like from a heart side today. of What does this mean for you that Jesus has done this? And so before we finish up and have communion, I want to do an exercise that I really enjoy doing, and it's one of my favorite Bible study methods. So it's in your notes here, the three questions we're going to kind of walk through, and it comes from the Discovery Bible Method, which is a really good method of doing Bible studies with people and things like that. It's a little bit modified from that, uh, just to make it a little bit more personalized for this morning. But I want you to take a moment, just yourself, and read through that a few times, Read through that Matthew 9, 27 through 31. And just take a moment. I want you to answer these three questions. Maybe if you got your phone out, you can take some notes. If you have your sermon notes, you can write on or a pen and a piece of paper. Or if you just need to spend this time with the Lord yourself and just kind of take it in, that's great too. I just invite you to do that. So the first one is, what does this passage say about God? What does this passage say about people? And what is the Holy Spirit saying to me through this passage? So I want you just to take, take a moment, read through that maybe two or three times and answer those questions just between you and God to be able to take this time again from a heart side and apply it to your life today. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.